Let's go back in time and remember a classic Jets win. Today we're breaking down the 2004 wildcard victory over the San Diego Chargers ahead on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, this is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, June 21st, 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from GangreenNation.com. Thanking you for making the show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll get new episodes as soon as they are posted. If you're listening on a podcast source and enjoy the show, please give it a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. These things help us out, help other Jets fans find the podcast. Usually on Wednesdays, we have a mailbag show. We're going to change the schedule a bit this week. We're pushing the mailbag back to Thursday, so tune in tomorrow for our weekly mailbag. But today we're going to talk about a game from 2004 that the Jets played. It's the quiet time of the offseason, so I've begun a new series that looks back on some of, my, some of my favorite Jets wins through the years. And today I'm taking a look at the 2004 wildcard victory over the San Diego Chargers. My friend Michael Nania of JetsXFactor.com joins me once again to break it all down. This is the latest edition of our look back series. Maybe we want to, do we want to call it the return flight series? I like that. Um, anyway, my friend Michael Nani of JetsXFactor.com is joining me. And during the off season, there's not much going on with the Jets. So we want to take a look back at some of our favorite Jets games through the years. And today we're going to look back at one of my personal favorites. It happened in January of 2005. The 2004 season, I think it's the first time Michael's ever seen this game. The Jets go out to San Diego and defeat the Chargers in overtime in the playoffs. It's the wild card game. Michael, thank you for joining me. Thanks for taking the time to take a look back at this game. Yeah, I mean, last time I was on, we went over the uh, the Patriots game in 2015, which I was a huge fan at that time. I remember watching that game vividly. Uh, it's one of my most memorable games as a fan, but this one was a little bit different experience. Uh, I was only four years old at the time of this game. I was not watching the Jets yet. So I went back and did my research. I watched the highlights of this game, looked at the box score, looked at some 2004 stats from the, the Jets that year. Uh, so I I was able to do my studying going into this. And I'm looking forward to hearing some of your thoughts on it as someone who was watching it at the time. Well, this was, when we did the Patriots game, I told you that I thought the 2015 Jets team was maybe the most underrated Jets team since I followed them, with one exception. And I think that exception was the 2004 Jets, which was an excellent team. And before we start talking about the game, I'll, I'll give you a little, give everybody a little bit of context of what was happening with the Jets at this point. So this is a wild card game. The Jets had begun this season 5-0, and and then they were 6-1. and And the only loss was a six-point loss at New England against what may have been the best Patriots team of the Brady Belichick era. So this team is right in the mix, like halfway through the season. Then they go to Buffalo. Chad Pennington, who's the quarterback, suffers a pretty serious injury. So he misses a couple games. The Jets, you know, drop a couple games. They win one game out in Arizona uh, with Quincy Carter and Brooks Bollinger. Pennington returns. He's not really himself, though. And you can tell he's hurt, but the media is not really buying it. So Pennington's uh, performance comes under the microscope. 
week 15, the Jets have this big victory over the Seattle Seahawks. They blow the Seahawks out in the Meadowlands. Pennington kind of goes on a post-game rant because he's frustrated. He go, he kind of he calls out the media. He says, it's a privilege to cover me. It's a classic Jets rant. Unfortunately, the next two weeks, week 16 and week 17, Pennington plays poorly. The Jets lose those games. So now he's kind of got the target on his back. In fact, the Jets only made the playoffs this year because the last week of the season, they lose in overtime to the Rams. While that game was happening, the Steelers, who had nothing to play for, they had already clinched the one seed. They play their backups against Buffalo, and somehow the Pittsburgh backups beat the Bills in a game that means everything to the Bills. So the Jets are in the playoffs, but nobody's really feeling that good about it. There's all this talk, the team's collapsing, Pennington's not himself. Um, On the other side, you have the San Diego Chargers, who are the surprise team of 2004. The previous year, they had been the number one, they had been the worst team in the league. They had the number one pick in the draft. A young quarterback named Drew Brees was not very good for them. It looked like a total bust. So they drafted Eli Manning, but Eli Manning wanted nothing to do with the Chargers. They trade the pick. They end up getting Phillip Rivers and a bunch of other picks. Rivers holds out a training camp, and that's probably the only reason Brees ends up with the, as the starting quarterback with the Chargers. Then Brees out of nowhere has this great season. Antonio Gates emerges. So the Chargers end up winning the AFC West. The Jets actually beat the Chargers this year, week two, out in San Diego, but Nobody really thinks the Jets are going to win this game because those teams are very different. The Jets played well early in the season. The Chargers really not put it together at that point. So that's a that's a little bit of context for for this uh, for this game. And you know you can tell if you watch the broadcast. And I, I went back and watched the the full full game heading into the game. The criticism around Chad Pennington was clearly one of the topics Al Michaels and John Madden brought up. And one thing I want to say before we get into this, Michael, and thank you for listening to that long diatribe about what was going on. I couldn't help but think about how crazy it was that Pennington was the topic of so much criticism because, I mean, there are still people who defend Zach Wilson after what he's done the last two years, yet Pennington was like this this lightning rod, and he was a good quarterback, and whenever he was healthy, the Jets made the playoffs. It just, maybe it's we did not appreciate it at the time, but it kind of boggles my mind that there was a quarterback as good as Pennington who got so much criticism as, as he did in 2004. Yeah, and, and the way you mentioned it is definitely interesting because I, I know from my perspective, like from the point I've started watching the Jets, I mean, I've been through Sanchez to Geno Smith to Darnold to Wilson. So looking back at Pennington and what he accomplished and, you know, just hearing his reputation from people who watched him more closely than I was able to at that point, like he's kind of the gold standard for Jets quarterbacks, kind of post Namath. I mean, it's it's him, it's Ken O'Brien. Obviously, Vinny had a great peak year. But uh, he he's up there in terms of the best guys since Joe Namath. So to hear that, you know, at that when he was playing, that there was some criticism on his shoulders, and we know he was banged up. That was his biggest, you know, his biggest issue holding him back. But when he was healthy, like just from my perspective, looking back on it, the production was good. The Jets won when he played. So it it, it is interesting to hear at that time that he was taking some criticism. I guess, like you said, maybe we just didn't understand at that point what he would, you know, go on to be in Jets lore, how he would compare to what was going to come after him. Pennington, again, was playing hurt. I mean, the thing is, early in this game, he was not very good. He was missing throws left and right, throws that he never misses while healthy. And, you know, the announcers are even talking about how because he's injured, he's kind of adjusting his mechanics and that's causing him to, to make inaccurate passes. And I thought this was kind of a tale of two games for Pennington. At the start of the game, he was kind of off target. He was missing throws. He was missing all kinds of throws. And it was not a good start. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the highlights, it was definitely a sort of 
you know, run heavy plan from the Jets and the passing attack wasn't uh, super effective for the Jets in that game. And I forget what the final numbers were. I'm going to pull them up right now. Maybe you have them as well. But yeah, it wasn't the most explosive aerial attack. And I know this is the year where Curtis Martin had that famous season where, you know, in his 30s, he was the rushing champion. Uh, and, you know, 4.6 yards per carry with a 25 long run in the season. And you could see that in this game that they were doing their best to lean on him. And it turned out to work well in the end, but they did kind of bottle him up, right? At looking at the box score. Yeah, like, they couldn't. For 66, I, I mean, the, so the thing, the thing is, the they, game. they could not block Jamal Williams, who was the Chargers nose tackle. It was, I mean, he was dominating Kevin Mawai and Brandon Moore. And that did not, those are not words you hear often because Kevin Mawai is in the Hall of Fame. So it's not like Kevin Y had many bad games, but he they just couldn't deal with Jamal Williams. And this was one of those things that like kind of shows you the way the NFL has changed because Jamal Williams was this big, like 350 kind pound nose tackle and played in the middle of a three, four defense. And in those days, I mean, that's the way you built your defense. You built it around a guy who just, who just ate up blocks who you couldn't block. And in today's NFL, a guy like that's probably like a, a, part-time player he's you know he's kind of a run stopper a guy who, who clogs up blockers jamal williams has never had more than four sacks in a single season season in his career in today's nfl you want generally want guys who get up the field you don't want the big the big nose tackles who just draw double teams anymore but that's the way defenses were built around them and the jets had a lot of issues with jamal williams blocking him up front yeah it was definitely looking at this game i think one of the things that stood out, and we were talking about this before we started recording, but just the fact that it was almost a novelty when a team would use a nickel defense on first down. I, I know you said there was a play where Al Michaels pointed that out, like it was you know some strange occurrence. And now that that is the most common defensive package, or at least a lot more than it was. So it was, you could definitely feel the age of this game, even though 2004 doesn't feel like that long ago. It kind of is in terms of how much the NFL has changed since then with offensive philosophies. So definitely watching this game, I felt it was interesting to me before I went into it. I was like, you know, because this is sort of a, you know, a period in NFL history where it's like in between old school and new school. So I was interested to see how it would feel. And it definitely leaned closer to you know that old school football still so i don't think that new wave had come in yet and definitely not for this jets team like they might have been i know you said paul hackett was the offensive coordinator of this team and you know jets weren't even running shotgun and i was looking at the jets stats for 2004 and they were 30th in passing attempts third in rushing attempts so they as much as the league still wasn't quite there yet to where it is now in terms of you know pass heavy and just more the big changes offensively, uh, the Jets were, it seems like they were behind that curve, right? Yeah, they did not even have a shotgun formation in their playbook. I remember this distinctly because Paul, let's just put it this way. If this, Paul, if this podcast existed in the 2001 to 2004 range, about half the shows would be about how terrible of an offensive coordinator Paul Hackett was. And, you know, it's inconceivable a team would have zero shotgun snaps today. Even then it was behind the curve and it was one of many issues. So, Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Back in 2004, the Jets were underdogs on the road against the Chargers in the playoffs. If you put money down on the Jets, you probably would have done pretty well because they won this game in overtime. The Jets are probably going to be favored quite a bit this year with Aaron Rodgers under center at the quarterback position. So it's a, that makes it a great time to get familiar with FanDuel. 
And right now, new customers can get a no-sweat-first bet of up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. So come the fall, there's no better place to get in on all the action than America's number one sports book. And if you want to watch baseball right now or all, any of the other sports action happening, you can go to FanDuel right now and get that $1,000 no-sweat-first bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. You get that $1,000 no-sweat-first bet. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Talking about this game, it, it kind of felt to me like in the early stages, like the first, really the first half, the teams were kind of feeling each other out because there wasn't a lot of action. You know, the the offenses were moving the ball well enough. There weren't a lot of three and outs, but they were kind of stalling. So the defenses were getting their stops. So it was kind of a, it, it was kind of a slow first half. Um, you know, there, there were a couple of moments, you know, in, early in the second quarter, the Jets we're playing pretty good defense bust a coverage i mean they bust they bust a cover too pretty basic coverage uh the corner david barrett and the safety eric coleman just completely whiff on a coverage uh and that's about the first big play i saw in the game where drew Brees hits keenan mccardell for a touchdown to put the chargers up and also i was amazed keenan mccardell was still playing because i remember him playing in the 90s with the jaguars and that's another thing that's really interesting i think about watching a game from like 15 to 20 years ago because in the same game, you have a guy, Keenan McCardell, who I like, I'm like, I remember watching that guy almost 30 years ago, and he's catching a pass from Drew Brees, who was in the NFL three years ago. So you, see, you get like these wide, right. these wide varieties. So the Jets were down seven, nothing. And then they kind of bounced back. And I always thought the, the key, one of the key moments was the Jets almost blocked a punt with uh, John McGraw. And there was controversy over whether or not they should throw a flag. And Marty Schottenheimer took an on sportsman like penalty, uh, arguing it because he came out onto the field which jet set the jets up with the short field which was one of the key points of the game because as i said i thought pennington was very shaky in the early going then on a i think it was a third and seven on this next drive he hits justin mccarrens he throws a strike to mccarrens to move the chains and from that point on i thought pennington played really well and some it's funny sometimes it's just like one throw that gets you going yeah and we've seen that with jets quarterbacks in recent years Sometimes it's just it'll be a cold start, but they hit that one throw and they'll have a hot streak to end a game. Uh, the game to game consistency hasn't be hasn't been good, but any quarterback can get going when they hit that one throw. And uh, I know watching this one early on, uh, like there were a the couple of big plays early, like you mentioned, Breeze hit that deep pass to McCardell. And I, I remember watching that at first and they called it incomplete. And I saw in the replay, I was like, that's definitely a catch. So I wasn't surprised that they overturned it. Uh, and then, you know, Pennington hits the bomb, Santana Moss. And before that, he, you know, Anthony backed blown coverage. He was wide open. So, you know, it seemed like the Jets were controlling this early on. They just weren't able to kind of put the Chargers away. And then later on, they were able to inch back and force overtime. Right. Uh, let, let's go back to the back to touchdown. Because it was this was on the drive right after he hit the McCarrens, the pass to McCarrens to move the chains. And it's funny because for 19 years, I've been saying that the Chargers busted the coverage, but... I actually realized something watching that touchdown to Becht. Pennington audibled at the line, and essentially he he made a pre-snap read that the Chargers were blitzing, and essentially what happened was Becht was man-to-man -to -man against the deep safety, so Pennington changed the route. He sent Becht to the flat, and you know, if you have a deep safety against a tight end, the route to the flat, the guy's going to be wide open. And uh, Jets, the Jets receiver threw a block. I think it was Santana Moss. 
So Beck walked into the end zone for that. So I'm sitting there saying like, wow, a Jets quarterback making a pre-snap read. And I guess we can get used to it this year with Aaron Rodgers, but those are, that's a sentence you don't hear that often. And it's 19 for 19 years. I've been thinking the chargers just completely blew that play, but there's actually a great read by Pennington and he changed the play and adjustment and jets getting good quarterback play. That's definitely something that I'm not used to seeing. So that's a great catch by you. And I'm hoping that Rodgers can mimic that this year, but that's such a big part of quarterbacking. Like we can focus on arm talent all day mobility and all the physical traits but so much of being a good quarterback is you know what can you create for yourself with pre-snap reads how can you get to the line of scrimmage and create advantages for your offense by being able to read the defense and maneuver things around if you have a quarterback who could do it well there's so many things you could open up through that so hopefully Rodgers can do it and like you said great job by Pennington on that play I'm, I just rewatched you right now and yeah you can definitely see the pre-snap read there by by Pennington and then, you know, back to getting wide open as a result of that. Yeah. And I, I can't take total credit because John Madden said it as he, uh, when he was breaking the play down. So uh, credit, full credit to John Madden, who was the, the, uh, the analyst on this game and uh, game, that game goes to halftime seven, seven uh, the jet, the jets defense makes a play near the end of the first half. And Eric Coleman, who was part of the blown coverage on the McCardell touchdown kind of atones for it. he, deflects a pass that I think is picked off by David Barrett that stalls the Chargers drive. Then the Jets are moving the ball, but they can't get anything going. So they end up punting before the half. So it goes to the locker room 7-7. And then second half is, is pretty exciting. And early in the third quarter, we'll get to the, let's talk about the, th- the, the throw you were discussing. Um, Pennington hits Santana Moss for a long touchdown. And for Pennington, he's playing hurt. The big knock on him is always arm strength. And he just made, I mean, this is an unbelievable throw. I, you know, as much as I remember this game, I did not remember how good that throw, because Santana Moss only had like a step or two on the defender and he kind of dropped it in the butt. I mean, that, that throw had to have pinpoint accuracy and Pennington, I mean, it was like a 50 yard pass on the air that he just dropped. He dropped in just like the, the spot it had to be. Yeah. I, I was amazed when I watched that because I know arm strength, like you said, is always the knock on Pennington. And so when I saw him pulling the trigger, I was like, is this going to be an interception? But then it's a perfect throw that lands right into the bucket. And it was about 50, over 55 yards in the air. He throws it from maybe the 50 or the 46 yard line on the jet side of the field and it's caught in the end zone. So yeah, about 55 yards right in the bucket with two guys blanketed on Santana Moss so incredible throw by Pennington there at this point the Jets it feels like they're in control of the game now they have one really bad moment where Dwayne Robertson a defensive tackle pull I guess we should we call it pulling a CJ Mosley uh jumping offside on a fourth down <laughs> from San Diego ter- I mean, he at least didn't jump over the line like CJ Mosley did but then he makes up for the next play he gets a big tackle for a loss and one of the funny things about this is and now this is something I had forgotten because Dwayne Robertson's remembered as one of the biggest butts, busts in Jets history. He, they traded up for him in 03. He actually did have a pretty good second season, and they they pointed that out. So the Jets are kind of in control of this game, and they drive into a field goal range on their next drive, and Doug Bryan um, hits a field goal, but it, it, like, it barely sneaks through. It like hits the post, and then it's, it's close to being a double doink. And this is the week before the infamous game where he missed the two kicks in Pittsburgh, 
And even though he made that kick, I mean, you saw the signs that he was in shaky position. He was in shaky shape in this game. He missed a 33-yard field goal in the first quarter. He almost missed the extra point after the Bex touchdown. He barely snuck it through. And then on a kick that's a pretty routine kick, a kick from just over 40 yards, he hit, he needs the, the goalpost to get through. So it, again, there were kind of signs there that Doug Bryan was not a kicker to be trusted in this game. And that, that would come into play the next week. But the Jets are up 17-7, and it feels like they're in control. Yeah, I noticed that. Some of the kicks were you know not perfect. And obviously the next week, as you said, it would come back to bite them. But uh Kicker is so important, and uh, we've seen the Jets throughout the years. I feel like probably more so than the positive side, been on the bad side of kicking. I mean, Nick Folk gave him some good years where he's clutching the playoffs, but uh, yeah, you need good kicking. And in this game, the Jets, despite Doug Bryan, a couple of kicks weren't pretty. As as we will get into, they did come out on the good side of this one when it comes to kicking, but uh, in the long run, it hurt them. And there was another moment that happened in the second half of this game that I had kind of put out of my mind. And there was like this altercation between Herm Edwards and one of the coaches on the sidelines. And as I was watching this, like I was thinking like, oh, I forgot about that. But then like out of like the back of my mind, the name Harris Bishop or Bishop Harris comes to mind. And then they show a graphic of the coach he was like yelling at is Harris uh, Bishop Harris. And I'm like, oh, this must have been like somewhere buried in the back of my mind. So I looked this up and it didn't did not really impact the game. Of course, they downplayed it afterwards. But two weeks later, this coach was gone. He was the running backs coach. Uh, so just a minor note there. But Jets are up 17-7 and it feels like they're kind of in control of this game at this point. And one thing that I noticed is they did a really good job, especially in the first three quarters of bottling up Antonio Gates and LaDainian Tomlinson. Um Gates had two catches before the San Diego final drive of the fourth quarter. And Tomlinson, you know, at halftime, they showed a graphic. He had 56 yards. So he was on pace for a hundred yard game, but there were really no big runs. It felt like the Jets kind of kept him in check, which against the great players, all you can do. And I guess another funny note, and something I had forgotten is that early in the game, Al Michaels makes the point that, well, this is a guy you may not recognize because not many people know about the Chargers, but one, one day people are going to know how great LaDainian Tomlinson is. And I thought this through and it's like everybody knows LaDainian Tomlinson now, but you know what? Back in those days, the Chargers were, you know, the year before they were the worst team in the NFL. They play out on the West Coast. In, they played on the West Coast in San Diego. So another funny thing is just thinking of that there was a time where NFL fans did not know how great LaDainian Tomlinson was. Yeah, that's definitely crazy for me to think of because you know, I remember him in the tail end of his career with the Jets, him already being established as a legend. So that's always interesting when you go back and look at older games kind of before your time and see some of these players who are already established as legends to you in your mind because that's how you saw them when they were playing and you know, see them in the younger stages of their careers when they were at the same exact point that some of the young up-and-coming stars today are at in their careers and then maybe one day those guys will be veteran stars that we looked at in the same way so it, it's interesting whenever you go back and see like a young breeze young antonio gates young lt a lot of up-and-coming offensive stars on the chargers team so the jets give up a field goal so it's 17 10 and now something the last thing that i had completely forgotten about this game and this was something like i, I drew a blank on is the jets are up 17 10 and they're driving in the fourth quarter and they get into San Diego territory and they actually get a drive extended on a chargers penalty. 
and they're on like the 30 yard line it was like i don't know around six minutes left and i'm thinking all right i know this game went to overtime but i can't imagine how the jets didn't did not put this game away here but there's a penalty on anthony becht and the jets have to punt so the chargers get the ball back and as good as they were against antonio gates all game and if you watch this i mean it's always difficult to tell on the tv view but it was clear that he was drawing a lot of attention, that they were double teaming him, that they were putting sub packages on the field to contain him. And it's one of those things that drives you crazy. Once you have something that works all game and then the game's on the line, suddenly you change what you do and the Jets stop focusing on him. And he just eats the Jets up on that last Chargers drive of the fourth quarter. It gives me flashbacks of Rob Gronkowski because, you know, we've seen so many games where the Jets have struggled to handle him. And Gates was, I mean, before Rob Gronkowski, there was Antonio Gates, the original dominant receiving tight end. So it was interesting to see what he looked like back in the earlier days of his career. And I saw some of his you know, good years when he, he got into his 30s, but I never really got to see the prime Antonio Gates. So that was fascinating to watch. Yeah, so the Chargers get into like a goal-to-go situation in the final minute of the game. And... The Jets have two timeouts, and they actually they the Chargers get to the one yard line, and they stop Tomlinson on third down, and there's still like around a minute left, and the Jets don't use a timeout, and this is a this is a chronic issue with Herm Edwards, the time management. If they if they call a timeout there, there's still like a minute left on the clock if the Chargers score, so you can do something with the ball if they score and tie the game up, and if you get the stop, the Chargers can't you can run the you can still run the clock out, so bad clock management, but. The play of the game, this is one I remembered vividly. I remember like being crestfallen when this play happened. It felt like the, the play that was going to end the Jets' season. On fourth and goal, they send a blitz, and they get a free runner on Breeze. And they're up 17-10. It's fourth and goal from the one-yard line. And they, they Breeze is pressure. He just throws a duck up. He has no, there's nobody open. They knock it down, and then there's a flag on the field. And there's a roughing the passer call, call on a linebacker, Eric Barton. And, you know, the NFL of 2004 was not the NFL of today. You know, they were not nearly as strict as enforcing hits on quarterbacks as roughing the passer. But even by the standard of 04, I mean, this was an obvious call. Because, I mean, he, he literally just elbows Brees to the head as, as Brees is going down. It was totally unnecessary. I mean, the Jets have, Jets have this game won, and Eric Barton gives the Chargers new life. Yeah, it was definitely interesting when I watched it because, you know, that's that's the first thing that came to mind is the difference in the standards at that point. It was definitely... There was definitely a lot more leeway in terms of roughing the passer calls, just overall physicality that was tolerated. So it was, you know, when I was thinking about it, it was definitely in my mind, like how would that be called today versus then? But I, I think you're right. It, it's something that probably could and should have been called in either era because it seemed like a pretty deliberate shot to the head. And that that's the number one thing that's they're going to be looking out for. So it, it seemed like a very boneheaded play and most of the time when the Jets make a play like that it you know lives in infamy as uh, just another classic Jets moment that comes back to haunt them and luckily in this case it didn't happen you know what I was thinking is nobody remembers this because but if Barton doesn't do that like that's a that's a goal line stand that we're still talking about today We're, we're talking about this as like one of the greatest moments in franchise history this goal line stand to win the playoff game in San Diego so in that way, it kind of took it without David. They still won the game, yeah. so you can't get that upset. But it's like it would be one of those moments in franchise lore that you look back on is like when the Jets Jets held on the goal line to win the, this road playoff game against the Chargers. 
And then the next play after the Barton penalty, Breeze finds Gates for a touchdown and the Chargers have tied the game. And the Jets don't have any timeout. The Jets don't have any time left because they did not use any of their timeouts on the goal line, which was, again, a chronic issue with Herm Edwards, the time management. So this game goes to overtime. And unlike the last game we talked about, where New England, the Jets lost the coin toss and New England decided to kick off. Jets lost the coin toss here and the Chargers took the ball and both teams got one possession. And then I mentioned how the Jets did a good job bottling up Antonio Gates until that last drive of the fourth quarter. They did a good job bottling up LaDainian Tomlinson until the overtime and Tomlinson just took over on that overtime drive. And John Madden is saying, you know, Tomlinson's the only guy on this field that looks fresh and he's absolutely right. And the Chargers are getting in on the fringes of field goal range and you just feel that the season's ending. Yeah, and you mentioned John Madden. I want to talk about him quickly because I didn't get to hear a lot of years or really much at all of him on the mic since I started watching. And obviously he's an iconic broadcaster and I've heard plenty of him, but uh, to kind of watch through an entire game and hear, you know, what he was like, it was definitely, and, and even this is, you know, towards the back end of his career, but he was still, I think, an awesome commentator at this point. I thought, he, you know, he's funny. He brings energy. I think his insight is great. So it was, it was just cool to hear him throughout this game. And it, it also just, you know, to hear a Jets game being called by, you know, Al Michaels and John Madden, I, th- I thought was a really good combo. And I know you told me before we started recording that uh, you love that combo as well and thought they had a really good game. He was phenomenal. I mean, when you compare it to the, what you hear today, I mean, it's unbelievable. I thought he was so good. I mean, the stuff he was pointing out. So like the Moss touchdown, He's calling this before the replay that the reason Moss got open is the corner. I want to say Quinton, Quinton Jammer. Um, he's got his eyes in the backfield because he bit on play action. And like, it, he just did it in Madden saying he did it for a split second, but that was enough to get, let Moss get separation. I mean, who sees that live? Just the eye he had, or, I mean, there were so many things I, I can point to. I love the fact that he, he called the coaches out. You never hear a coach get called out by an announcer. All the announcers want to be buddy, buddy, but he talked about, some of the time management issues the Jets had. Um, he talked about near the end of the first half when they they had the Chargers pinned deep and they should have called timeouts to force the Chargers to punt. And they they had this delay. And he said, that's on the head coach. He said, he said the Jets keep having this and that, you know, something you don't want to be mean, but that's on the head coach. I'd love that he called him out on that. There were so many things through that. Game. He even talked about in that situation, the Jets had the Chargers pinned deep. He talked about a rule I think not a lot of announcers know. I think not a lot of coaches know. You, If you fair catch a punt, you are allowed to attempt what's known as a free kick, which essentially works like a kickoff where you, ha- you, have, if you don't have a tee, but you have a holder. And your place kicker can kick the ball from the spot of the fair catch. And the defense has to be 10 yards back. And if you miss it, you miss it, and the other team can return it. But if you hit it through the goalpost, it actually counts as a field goal. So your team can get a running start. And it's not really useful in most situations, but near the end of the first half, if you have like one second left in the first half, it's something you might try because you're probably not going to score a touchdown otherwise. So, it, and he's calling, he's saying the Jets should try this. And the Jets ended up giving up a first down. So the Chargers didn't have to punt. So there were just so many things I looked to in this game where he was on top of it. And it, you know, it, it was such a well-announced game. I, when I compare it to what you hear in this day and age, oh my God, he was so good. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's still some great commentators, but I think it's more of a mixed bag. Uh, I I feel like maybe some of the more recent hires the past 10 years or so are maybe kind of more made based off, made based off of name or what they accomplished in their careers. But uh, I mean, 
I mean, I'll, I will name a name. I think Jay Feely is an example of a guy who's like probably a, a commentator today who bugs me a little bit and might not be too great because the Jets are not very good. They've gotten a lot of him. But uh, to, to hear the difference between that is what we've become accustomed to versus John Madden calling a Jets playoff game was it was jarring, to say the least. I mean, there's a play. I'll give you one other play before I get to the main point here. It was near the end of the first half. The Jets downed a punt deep in Chargers territory. And Jericho Cotri's a rookie. So Jericho Cotri is actually playing on the punt coverage team. And Madden notices before the officials do that Cotri stepped out of bounds before he downed the punt, which he's not allowed to do. And I, I, mean, I couldn't get over the stuff he was picking up. But here's one other thing he picked up is that in overtime, the Chargers get into like the fringes of field goal range. And he's saying the Chargers should not stop here they should not just play for a long field goal because it's a bad weather night in san diego the field's not in great condition and he actually relates it to a game he coached with the raiders in 1977 a very famous game it's known as ghost to the post because of a famous catch tight end billy casper made to to uh, tie the game late in regulation his nickname was ghost because the last name's casper so if you've ever seen the cartoon but in double overtime the raiders had it in field goal range and what he said was in that game, I went for the win because I figured it gave me two chances. It gave me the chance to score the touchdown. And then if I don't get to score the touchdown, then I have a shot at the field goal. Whereas if you play for the field goal, you really only have one shot. And it's like he's calling it out as it happens. And the Jets are selling out against the run here. If they run play action, Antonio Gates may have nobody within 10 yards of him if they try and sneak him down the field because the Jets are so selling out against the run. And the Chargers end up trying a, a field goal from I think it was more than 40 yards which the rookie kicker Nate Kading missed which was kind of one of the stories of Nate Kading's career he had another playoff game get meltdown against the Jets a few years later and that totally changed everything I remember watching this live from the moment Eric Barton committed that penalty it felt like the Jets were going to lose and then Kading missed that kick and it felt like the Jets were going to win yeah sometimes it's those momentum momentum changers that kind of swing the entire game regardless of what happened before it because like you think back to that penalty if i had watched the highlights of this game and i didn't know the result i would think at the moment that penalty happens jets are losing this game because that's usually how it goes you know if you have control of the game and you have a collapse like that and you give a team life usually it doesn't work out for you especially if you're the new york jets but um they got the life back because of that missed field goal and like John Madden was talking about, the Chargers didn't really step on the neck of the Jets as much as they could have. So they have to attempt a relatively long field goal, not a gimme field goal in uh, conditions that aren't ideal. And it, you know, gave the Jets life. So that's why it's always important to, even in these situations in overtime, if you're trying to get a game winning field goal in the fourth quarter, whatever it is, you always want to maximize your chances as much as you can and not play it safe for that field goal. And the Jets drive right down the field, Pennington, Pennington hits some passes, and then maybe the decisive plays. There's a, a run outside run by Lamont Jordan down the left sideline. And as I'm watching this game, I feel like the Jets probably should have used Lamont Jordan more because Curtis Martin, look, a Hall of Fame running back, won the NFL rushing title that year. But Lamont Jordan averaged five yards per carry that year. He was the backup. He was a guy the Jets drafted in 2001 to be Martin's successor. And then Martin just kept producing, so Lamont Jordan never really got much of a chance. But He's a really physical runner. I felt like he would have may have been in looking back, he, using him more may have been the right move in that game. But they finally got him the ball late in overtime and he got them into field goal range. And then Doug Bryan knocks home the field goal to win it. 
and the Jets go on to Pittsburgh the next week, where we won't talk about what happened there. And one other random point is this: this kick took place in the final minute of the first overtime. And as, as this is a weird thing because all, all that mattered was the Jets winning. But I actually remember watching this game in January of 2005, and I was kind of hoping the clock would run out, and then Brian would hit the field goal at the start of double overtime just so I could see, say I saw a double overtime game. Yeah, I, I. When was the last time we did see a double overtime game in the NFL? Do you know? Because I think it was. It doesn't feel like it's any time recent. I think there was a game between Denver. I'm not De- Denver and Baltimore in 2012. It was the the game where Flacco hit. Uh, that's Flacco what I was thinking. Like that's touchdown. what was in. The, I wasn't sure about it, but I thought like, was there a Denver Baltimore game? I think that was 2010s? the last one. The year before, there actually was a game. It was it was the 03 season, the 04 playoffs between the Rams and the. Panthers, which I think Carolina won on like a Steve Smith long touchdown in the first play of double overtime. So came that close to a double over. But the important thing was the Jets won. I don't care if it happened in the first overtime or the second overtime, really. So the Jets won. It's a wild game. It was not a it, it was a great win. It was not a particularly well played game, though. There were 17 penalties, all kinds of perplexing decisions. The, the, the Jets committing the huge penalty by Barton at the end of overtime. Chargers kind of letting the Jets get going offensively on the Marty Schottenheimer penalty, and then the Chargers with their sequence where they settle for the long field goal. So it wasn't the best played game, but it was still, I thought it was a really fun game to look back on and watch, and probably in part because the Jets won. I mean, I would take a playoff win in any form or fashion at this point. If it's 2 nothing, 4-2, to two, you know, muddy, rainy, they score on a safety. They have 10 passing yards the whole game. I don't even care at this point. So you you take them however you can get them. Let's end on a positive note. The Jets get a huge win in San Diego. They extend their 0-4 season. Again, I think the most underrated Jets team since I've started following them. And, you know, for a team that was kind of drawing a lot of criticism, for a quarterback who was drawing a lot of criticism entering this game, a heck of a victory. Yeah, and I was looking at some of the areas where the 2004 team stacks up in uh in team history and according to a pro football reference has a stat called simple rating system which takes your point differential and adjusts it based on your strength of schedule and according to that they have the 2004 team as the sixth best team in franchise history uh 98 is first then 82 85 2009 then 1968 and then 2004 that's based on point differential and strength of schedule so it yeah just looking at the roster like they had so many good players in that team i mean the offense pennington at quarterback curtis martin at the end of his career um in the receiving room you had guys who were up and coming and hadn't broken out yet like jericho cotry but then you had guys who were in their prime like santana moss and mccarran's Corbett at the end of his career was still contributing uh so just looking across the roster was a really stacked team so this was an interesting team to go back and look at they were just a bad luck team i mean this was just the wrong year to be in the afc because that was a year pittsburgh went 15 and 1 it was roethlisberger's rookie year the patriots again probably the of the six super bowl teams probably the best for at least for my money yet the colts that year with peyton manning setting the touchdown record it was just an incredibly stacked AFC. If the Jets were in the NFC, they would have been the second best team behind Philadelphia that year. But in the AFC, they were the fourth or fifth best team. It was just kind of a bad luck situation, I think. It's always tough when you get those breaks. I mean, like, I'm a Knicks fan, and my dad grew up watching the 90s Knicks, and you can't help but think about how many championships they might have gotten 
they didn't happen to have their best era at the same time the best player of all time happened to be playing in the same conference. So sometimes, sometimes it works like that. And then as Jets fans, we know we also have had to deal with the best player of all time for two decades. So maybe the window's open now, but now we got Josh Allen coming up and we got the Dolphins looking good. So sometimes it's just about opportunity. I mean, you look at the Eagles last year, great team, obviously, but they got a nice and easy road to the Super Bowl, And sometimes it just breaks that way. So there, there's luck is as big of a factor as anything when it comes to winning championships. Right, well, it was fun doing this, Michael. Uh, you know, last one we did a game both of us had seen. This one was a game one of us had seen. Maybe we should go back to a game before both of our times the next time we do this. Yeah, that, that'd be fascinating. Just both of us kind of do our research and kind of react to something that is way before both of our times. I'd, I'd be interested to watch some games from that 68 season. I mean, the Super Bowl is famous i've seen highlights from it i think all jets fans know a good amount of the story of that game but it was still a great team for the whole season so uh, that's something i've been curious about looking back at all right well it was a pleasure looking looking forward to doing it again next time thanks again for having me well that's all for today's episode thank you so much for listening this has been the locked on jets podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day is our motto as always, if you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you're listening on a podcast source, give the show a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, please give this episode a big thumbs up. These things help us out and help other Jets fans find Locked on Jets. Enjoy your Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow with our weekly mailbag show.